Hi, my name's Chad Payne. I'm an alcoholic. I want to welcome everybody to the foundation meeting. (laughs) The purpose of this meeting, this is the need to know information when somebody's coming into AA. And I know that in my experience, I went to a whole lot of AA meetings before I ever learned the stuff that we cover right here in the foundation meeting. This is... This is what you need to know when you're walking in. What does it mean to be alcoholic? What is the solution to alcoholism? What's the deal with this crazy big group that we have with the microphones and the study guide? You know, what's different about this group? Why is the big book so important? You know, some of these, some of these questions uh, is, uh, that we want to, you know, what's, what's this program of action that we talk about? How are we supposed to get to this solution? So that's, that's the purpose of this meeting is, is to, to, to get that information out. It seems to me like that's something everybody ought to know when they come in. Now, um, guys, AA is not governed by anybody, and that's a good thing. That's one of the reasons that we're still around and we do so well. But because of that, you can say anything you want in an AA meeting when it's your turn to share. And the group may some eventually kick you out somehow or whatever, but, but you can really say anything that you want. It's not like there's, a, there's the AA police that are going to come stop you. But because of that, what you hear in an AA meeting may not be in line with the AA program. And what happens is somebody will say something in an AA meeting that sounds really good, and then somebody else will say it in a meeting and somebody else and pretty soon a lot of people are saying this and you'll, you'll be in the meeting and you'll go, hmm, well I've heard this in three meetings now. It must be AA. But it may or may not be. So what we want to do is try to back up everything that we talk about in our basic text, in the big book, and make sure it's, the, it's actually what the AA message is. So that's what I'm going to try to get out tonight. And those of you that have some of these uh, notes in front of you, you'll notice that there's a lot of quotes out of the book. And everything that I'm pulling from this, hopefully, is coming straight out of the big book. Okay, so let's get this thing going. I want to talk about two or three concepts before we get into what it means to be alcoholic. The first one is singleness of purpose. AA has one single purpose, to help alcoholics recover from alcoholism. And AA does it really well. Now, having said that and being realistic about this, I know that in in this meeting and in plenty of meetings, there are a lot of drug addicts. And we just know that that's true. And, 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 you know, that's that's the way this thing works out. But what I I want to talk to you about here is is if, if Alcoholics Anonymous is not your people, if you're a drug addict and you're sitting in an AA meeting because somebody brought you to an AA meeting, there are other fellowships that we can direct you to or put you in contact with that you may relate to a little bit better. And there are other fellowships around here in Austin that are still using the big book, but, uh, but you know, or, or for different kind of drugs or different things. So, so that's, we're real fortunate in, in that, but, but we can get you where you need to go. But for now, as far as this meeting is concerned, Primary Purpose Group is an open meeting. We welcome anyone to come in and study the book with us. You can be an alcoholic or an addict or a family member or, or, or anything in the world. You're just curious. I don't know if anyone would do that. But you're welcome to come in here. Now, I'm going to use the words alcohol, alcoholism, sober, and, and if you're a heroin addict, you're just going to have to switch the words. When I say alcohol, you think heroin. When I say sober, you think clean. When I say alcoholism, you think addiction. And, and you're welcome here, and we'll just move through it like that. One more concept here, anonymity. It's very important that we don't talk about who we see in AA. 
That's nobody else's business outside of this fellowship. And it's also important that we don't tell what someone else talked about in the meeting. We want you to go out and share what you hear here. We just don't necessarily want you to tell who you heard it from. That's, that's, this is Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> it's it's kind of important. And guys, when I came in, I mean, it was no surprise to anybody. Oh, Chad's in AA? Good. But for some of us, that's not the case. And some of us don't want everybody to know where we are. Okay. Um, this group is a little bit different. Most, uh, most AA meetings, the idea is to bring a topic and then share your experience on that topic. And that's very valuable and very important. It's just not what we do here. This meeting's a little bit different in that sense. We share a little bit differently. This is a true book study. We're truly studying the book. It, my experience with it is not what's important here. What's important is what the founders were saying, why they're saying it here, how it connects to what else they're saying in other parts of the book. So that's what we're really trying to get in touch with it at this meeting. That doesn't mean anywhere else is doing it wrong by any means. I think it's very important that we have a ton of AA meetings where we share our experience. It's just not what we do here. Everybody clear on that? Cool. Okay. Um, the idea of what we're trying to do here is get clarity on what the message is in this book, follow the instructions, and then go out and carry this message. That's the goal. So let's get into the good stuff. What is alcoholism? Now, I want to tell you guys right now, I'm going I'm to tell you what page this is on, and I'm going to read something, and it's going to happen real fast. My recommendation to you is don't even try to turn to the pages. Just, just listen to what I'm saying, and then when, when we can send out a recording of this, if you want a recording, or we can send out the notes, and every page that I turn to is on this set of notes. And you know we'll send you an electronic copy or whatever. Okay. So on page 30, it says, we learned, and who's we? When the book says we, they're talking about the founders of this program, the people who were, who were in AA when they wrote the book. There were actually less than 100 of them when the book was published. These are real deal alcoholics who had really been through the ringer. And they had, they had come in here, learned what was wrong with them, found out what the solution is, taken the action, had this spiritual awakening. And that's who they're talking about when it says we. So we learned, the founders of AA, the people who wrote this book, the, the members of the fellowship at that time, learned that we had to fully concede. That means to surrender. We had to surrender to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. Well, that's a pretty important step. You can't really go on with the other steps until you've done the first step. So this first step, this surrender to my innermost self that I'm an alcoholic has to happen in order for me to move on with the rest of this stuff. But in order for me to surrender, to fully concede to my innermost self that I'm alcoholic, I need to know what that means. And that may sound kind of trivial or kind of silly to a lot of people when we're first coming in because, by God, if you would have asked me, are you alcoholic when I came in? Oh, heck yeah. But what I, what I knew I was when I came in was a drunk. And there's a difference, and I'll get to that in a minute. But, but in order for me to really dig into this program and have some lasting sobriety and the willingness to do this work, I've got to understand what it means to be alcoholic and lay my experience up against that and see if that's who I am. Now, to understand what alcoholism is, first I want to talk about what it's not. Because there's a lot of misunderstanding here. Alcoholism does not mean that I drink all the time. Some of us drank every day from the time we woke up to the time we passed out, but that's not the case for everybody. 
Some of us were binge drinkers. Uh, you know, some of, we did it all kinds of different ways. Alcoholism does not mean that I drink more than anyone else. I hung out with people who drank more than me, especially early on. Some of us drank more than some of us were surrounded by people all the time going, "Oh my God, are you seriously going to keep drinking him?" That's Charlie. <laughs> Alcoholism does not mean that I'm weak-willed. I may not be weak-willed in any area other than alcohol. Alcoholism does not necessarily mean that I have an addictive personality. Some of us indulge in everything you could indulge in and go full hilt to the hilt on everything, and some of us don't. For some of us, it's just alcohol. Alcoholism does not mean that I'm homeless, that I've been to jail, that I've lost everything, or any other specific consequence. For many of us, it does mean that, but not all of us. So if alcoholism doesn't mean those things, then what does it mean? What is it that we all have in common? There's a few aspects of this, and the first one I want to talk about is what I call the alcohol problem. On page 30 it says, We alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our drinking. As an alcoholic, I don't have control over my drinking. We know that no real alcoholic ever recovers control. Though all of us felt at times that we were regaining control, but such intervals, usually brief, were always followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, whether that's based on external consequences or internal. Most of us in here can relate to that. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Alcoholism is an illness. Today we might call it a disease, but at the time they wrote the book, it's an illness. And progressive means this. Over any considerable period, we get worse. Never better. Now, Dr. Silkworth um, was the man who explained to Bill, who wrote the book, what was wrong with him. He explained alcoholism to Bill. And when Bill was writing the book and the rest of the folks in AA, they asked him to write his opinion to open up the book. And the reason for that is because alcoholics didn't have any credibility. The last person you wanted to send your, your you know, drunk uncle to was a bunch of other drunks. Here's a book written by drunks. Give this to your... No! That's the last person. So let's open this thing up with a doctor's opinion. And the doctor gives a really strong opinion on, on the value of AA. But here's what he says about the problem. Here's what he says about what's wrong with us. This is on Roman numeral 28. He says, we believe and so suggested. Now when he says we here, he's not talking about the founding members of AA. When he says we, he's talking about himself and the people that he worked with. So Dr. Silkworth was the director of Towns Hospital in New York. Today we'd call it a detox. That's what it was. And he had people that worked with him and they, they, their, their business was sobering up alcoholics the best that they could, but they really didn't know what they were doing or how to do it. And at this time, the common opinion in the world and in the medical community was that drunks are drunk all the time because they want to be drunk all the time. And that's the way it looked. Because the only way you can get drunk is by picking up alcohol and putting it in your system. Seems pretty obvious. But as Dr. Silkworth and the people he worked with were watching these guys come in and the miserable shape that they were in and then sobering them up and sending them out, and some of them are coming back in worse shape than they were before, he started to say, you know what? 
I think there's something wrong with these guys where they're not able to control their drinking. I don't think they're doing this by choice. I don't think they can help it. And that was a very controversial opinion because everybody in the world is mad at drunks. We make people mad. They don't want to hear this. Well, he can't help it. The hell he can't help it, you know? So Dr. Silkworth's opinion was very controversial at the time. But this is what he says. He says, We believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics... Now, for the drug addicts in here, chronic doesn't mean what you think it does. <sighs> chronic al- a chronic illness is an illness that you have from now on, like diabetes. You can treat it, but you still got it, right? That's what alcoholism is. So these chronic... Al- the action of alcohol... What alcohol does to a chronic alcoholic is a manifestation of an allergy. Okay, be honest with me. When somebody told you that you have an allergy to alcohol, did you think they were idiots? No, I did. Yeah. Okay, and and that stuck with me for a while until I learned that when this book was written, allergy was a new word. And it didn't have all the things attached to it that we attach to it now, like cedar fever, you know. When, when this book was written, if the definition of allergy in the old dictionary is an abnormal physical reaction. Now I can get down with that. When I put alcohol in my body, I have an abnormal reaction. And what is that abnormal reaction? It says, it says when it says manifestation, that means how does it show up? So how does this allergy show up? It says the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. So, when I drink alcohol, I don't start sneezing and break out in hives, obviously. So, how does this allergy show up? It's simple. I develop a craving that is beyond my control. The first drink demands the second, which demands the third, which demands the fourth. And as soon as I get a couple of drinks in me, there's nothing as important as getting another one in me. And that's why I have no control over my drinking. Once I start, I don't get to choose when I stop. And it doesn't, it's, it's not like I'm going, no, Chad, no, no, don't, oh, God, no, don't. That's, that's not what it looks like. What it looks like is I changed my mind. I went in to have a couple with, with the boys after work. We're going to the bar. We're going to have a couple drinks. It's been a rough day. And after a couple, I changed my mind. Two, as Charlie says, turns out that's a bad number. How about three? How about another 15 minutes? And then I changed my mind again. Now I changed my mind to four drinks. And it just goes on and on like that. So, two pages over, Dr. Silkworth gives us the solution to an alcohol problem. On Roman numeral 30, it said, now, now get ready, brace yourselves. This is not good news. He says, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. bad news. But actually, guys, it's pretty simple. If you've got a problem with alcohol, don't drink alcohol. That's not that difficult. If you're allergic to peanuts, you don't get any more peanut butter. Sorry. Peanut butter's really good, but you're just going to have to live without it. Right? Now, if you can manage that, you probably don't need to be here. Now, this moves us on into the next problem. On the bottom of page 22... And guys, I might paraphrase some of these a little bit, but on the bottom of 22 it says, we're positive that once this alcoholic puts alcohol in his system, something happens. It makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. 
The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. And that's a good statement to turn into a question. Does your experience abundantly confirm that once you put alcohol into your body, it's virtually impossible to stop drinking? Yeah. Then it goes on to say these observations would be academic and pointless. Charlie says that means wouldn't mean squat. So what we just said wouldn't mean squat if this guy never took the first drink. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. When this book talks about the problem in the body, the hopeless condition of body, they're talking about that alcohol problem. How I developed this craving when I put it in my body. But now we're going to move on to this other problem that centers in the mind. And this is the problem that leads me to the first drink. Over on page 24 it says, At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. What's the only requirement for membership in AA? A desire to stop drinking. As Charlie says, it'll get you a front row seat. But it won't keep you sober. Sorry. It says this desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail and this tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. By the time I was trying to quit, it was too late. I wasn't capable of it. The fact is that most alcoholics have lost the power of choice in drink. So not only do I not have control over my drinking, I don't have a choice of whether or not I take the first drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. And notice, guys, it says I'm unable at certain times. I can turn down a drink sometimes. And maybe you can too. Maybe you can't. But maybe you can too. But can you turn down the first drink 10 out of 10 times? How about 100 out of 100 how about from now on? And if your drinking leads you to where mine does, you're going to need to turn it down every time. <laughs> and I can't do that. So what I've got here is pow I'm powerless over the second drink, the third drink, the fourth drink, but I'm also powerless over the first drink. And that's a big misunderstanding in some AA. This idea that I can put the plug in the jug, or if you don't take the first drink, you won't get drunk, or just don't drink no matter what, illustrates a misunderstanding of what's wrong with us. Over on page 30, it says, the idea that somehow, someday, he'll control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. I got a mind that tells me I got this. I got a body 
that can't control, that develops this phenomenon of craving and can't control the drinking. And I got a mind that tells me that I can. And it's not fair because it talks to me in my own voice and it's hard to dismiss that. When my own voice is talking to me, telling me that I can drink if I do it this way or if I do it that way. And when we get into recovery, that voice doesn't always just say, hey, let's go drink. A lot of times it says things like, you don't need to tell anybody about this. Or it says, I know you haven't been to a meeting in a while, but you're okay. Or it says, you can handle this one. You don't need to write the inventory. Because what my mind, what alcoholism is trying to do is separate me from you, separate me from my program, separate me from God, get me by myself. And then it says, hey, how about a drink? Now that's got me by myself. Does that make sense? Okay. So on page 37, it says, whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain insanity. How can such a lack of proportion or the ability to think straight be called anything else? Guys, when I take the first drink, I can't blame it on the alcohol. When I take the first drink, I'm sober. And I make the most insane decision. I do the most insane thing I could possibly do. Stone cold sober. So I pick up another drink and take another run at it. And everybody around me is going... You did what? Are you crazy? Yeah, when it comes to alcohol, I'm insane. I'm insane. I have to be to try this again. Okay, now here's where it gets kind of interesting. There's another aspect of alcoholism. A lot of us call it the spiritual malady. And, and, and you know, um, you don't have to be alcoholic to have this. But in my experience, all alcoholics do have it. And, and, and I, it's, it can be kind of tricky to look at, but it's, it's an important concept that we need to discuss. But back here in, on Roman numeral 28 in the doctor's opinion, he's describing a sober alcoholic. I'm going to say that again because it's important. This is not a drunk alcoholic. This is not an alcoholic that's been drinking. This is a sober alcoholic. This is me when I'm sober. He says, they are restless, irritable, and discontented. When I'm not drinking, in the very beginning, it, it may look pretty good. I might be going, all right, you know, I'm, 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 I've got you know, a good night's sleep and, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of talking to the family again and I paid a couple of bills. And, but something starts to happen inside of me when I'm sober. Has anyone ever had somebody who cares about you a great deal tell you, look, man, if you would just quit this drinking, everything would be fine. Anybody ever tell you that? Just cut out this drinking and you'll be fine. And people told me that a lot. And with the best of intentions, people who deeply cared about me and were basing what they were telling me on their own experience. But it's not my experience. When I quit drinking after a little time passes, I get restless. And when I say restless, the best way I can describe it is that I don't know where I want to be, but it ain't here. I got to get out. I got to go. This place is driving me crazy. Brad called this anxiety in today's terms. That's pretty close. I get irritable. You ever feel like you're surrounded by idiots? Anybody feel that way right now? Go ahead. You can admit it. 
You are. And you're one of them. No, I'm just kidding. Not you. Not you. Everybody else but you. I mean, I can love someone and they're driving me freaking crazy when I'm sober. I just can't handle people. They can't do anything right. They either need to get off their butts and do something or they need to sit down and relax. Or they're driving too fast or they're driving too slow. Nobody can do anything right when I'm sober. And then this, I get restless, I get irritable, I get discontented. I think Brad described irritable as angry, right? Anger, so we have anxiety and anger. Discontented. When I'm, when I'm discontented, it's like, when I get sober, it's like the world is gray. You know, it's like, oh great, another day. It's like somebody could say, so what are you doing today, Chad? I don't know, man. Not drinking. <laughs> Again. <laughs> and I think Brad called this one depression. Anxiety, anger, and depression. I kind of like that. That's today's terms. But that's not the end of that sentence. He says an alcoholic is restless, irritable, and discontented unless he can again experience that sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks. I can fix restless, irritable, and discontented like that. I get a couple drinks in me. I ain't restless no more. I don't care where I'm at. It's a place to be. I'm not irritable anymore. I start to tolerate you guys and I might even enjoy your company. Hell, I might buy you a drink. And guys, when I drink, I am no longer discontented. The world turns back to color. It opens up for me. I become a part of it. All this stuff that's driving me crazy is now back in the background and I don't even notice it. I become present in this world. It's like all of a sudden I show up and everything is fine. As a matter of fact, a couple drinks in me is a lot like a spiritual experience. So here's the big, the big news I have for you. If you're an alcoholic, alcohol's not your problem. It's your answer. That's why it's so hard to quit. I'm not coming to you saying, let me take this terrible thing away that's causing all your problems. I'm coming to you saying, I'm going to take away the thing that makes this world okay for you. So what happens is we live... Danielle did a great job, right? Does this look good? I can't take credit for it. We live in this cycle. We start here. We take the first drink. It develops a, a, a craving or the physical allergy as the book refers to it. Then as I continue to drink, I suffer consequences. Then I feel that remorse. And then i got to stop, man. I make this firm resolution to stop. And then I began to experience this restless, irritable, and discontentedness. Eventually, the obsession comes back. I got that voice telling me, you can take a drink. This quitting drinking was probably an overreaction. You've been in treatment for two weeks. You can probably go now. You're probably good. <laughs> and when that obsession's back, folks, it's too late. It's a matter of time. And here comes the first drink. And then I live in this cycle. And I drink until I can't drink, and then I get sober, and I stay sober until I can't stay sober, and then I drink, and I live in that. Hmm. 
How about some more bad news? Bad news number one, if you're alcoholic, once you start to drink, you have no control over how much you drink from there on. Bad news number two, not only are you powerless over the alcohol that you've got to put in your system after you start to drink, you're powerless over the first drink. Even if you swear you're not going to drink again, it'll happen. Bad news number three, being sober doesn't make it better. As a matter of fact, for many of us, it makes it worse. And if that's not bad enough, check this out. On page 39 it says, but the actual or potential alcoholic, with hardly an exception, will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. You can know everything that I just told you, and it's still not enough. On page 24, it says, when this sort of thinking is fully established in an individual with alcoholic tendencies, he has probably placed himself beyond human aid and unless locked up, may die or go permanently insane. Mm. Guys, if you're alcoholic, nothing, sufficient reason, fear, consequences, losing your job, losing your family, going to prison, losing your kids, the doctor telling you if you drink again, your liver is gone and you're going to die. None of that stuff is to keep me is enough to keep me sober on my own power. None of it. Now it will. It'll keep me sober on my own power for a certain amount of time, right up until I've had enough. Right up until it won't. And many of us have had that experience over and over and over. So when I told you in the beginning I was going to tell you the difference in a drunk and an alcoholic, I would have admitted for years, yeah, I'm a drunk. Well, that's a guy with a drinking problem. I obviously, I'm actually kind of proud of it to tell you the truth. But now, knowing all this information, I'm alcoholic. <sighs> See, what I'm trying to convince you of here is, is, is not that you have a problem. What I'm trying to convince you of is that you don't have an answer. And that's the difference in a drunk and an alcoholic. An alcoholic has a problem and doesn't have an answer. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's get to the good news. There is a solution to this. On page 44, it sums up alcoholism again. It says, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely. That's powerless over the first drink. Or if when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take. That's powerless over the second, third, fourth, and on and on. It says you're probably alcoholic. If that's the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only 90 meetings in 90 days will conquer. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what it says. It says which only a spiritual experience will conquer. That's it. That's the solution for a real alcoholic is a spiritual experience. Okay. How am I supposed to do that? Because when somebody told me that, it just made me mad. Are you freaking kidding me? And that's not the case for all of us. Some of us are like, good, that's what I was hoping for. And some of us are like, oh no. On page 44, no, 45, it says, lack of power. I'm powerless. That's my dilemma. It says, I've got to find a power by which I can live. It's got to be a power greater than me, obviously. But where and how am I to find this power? 
Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself which will solve your problem. This book is not how to stay sober. As a matter of fact, here's some, here's some cool trivia for you. Nowhere in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, written by alcoholics for alcoholics, does it say now is when you quit drinking. You know why? Because they knew that we couldn't pull that off. This book is not how to quit drinking. This book is how to have a spiritual experience. How to hook up with power. And in the process of doing that, sobriety is kind of like a byproduct. Along with many other things. Or a better word for that would be a result. Back here in what Charlie read at the very beginning of the meeting in the forward to the first edition, it says, to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. So in this book, that's why we study this book at this meeting. If there was no other piece of AA literature ever written, we'd still be just fine. Everything Now there's good stuff out there, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to be the guy up here bashing different pieces of literature by any means. But this is the instructions. This tells me what's wrong with me. This tells me what the solution is. And this gives me clear-cut instructions on how to get there. There's plenty of stuff that can add to it, sure. All kinds of books in and out of AA that can add to it. Absolutely. And I encourage you to go explore all that. But this is the foundation. This is where it all starts. This book starts with identification. We learn that it's written by people like us. It explains the problem. It offers up a solution that truly works. And then it gives me a clear-cut set of instructions on how to get there. Check this out. In the 12th step, it says, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps... So how do we have this spiritual awakening? We've got 12 steps for it. And if we take these steps, whether we believe it's going to work or not, we have this experience. And it's been confirmed by one after another. Thousands and thousands and thousands of alcoholics. Now, some of you are in here thinking, okay, you're talking about this spiritual stuff, and I'm no idiot. You can say higher power if you want, but I know you're talking about God. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, there are plenty of you in here who are saying, great, let's talk about God. And then there are some of you who don't want anything to do with it. Yeah, And that's okay, because it works for both, and anywhere in between. And there are plenty of people in here who can vouch for that. As a matter of fact, from the very beginning when there were two members, AA was half religious and half agnostic. And it's been rolling right along ever since. It says here on page 46, much to our relief, we discovered we did not need to consider another's conception of God. Our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach and to effect a contact with Him. We're not going to tell you what to believe. You can believe whatever you want as long as it's something you can take through this process. That's good enough. And my suggestion to you is take whatever it is that you believe now, whether you're highly religious or totally atheist or anywhere in between, and just lay that aside. 
and follow these instructions and then tell me what you believe after you've had this experience. It says here on page 47, do I now, we need to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe or if, if I answer no to that one, am I even willing to believe that there's a power greater than myself? If I can answer yes to either one of those, then I'm on my way. Let's do this work and let's see what happens. Okay, so there's a program of action. And I broke it down into real, to three real simple parts. I didn't break it down. This was done way before my time. <laughs> the first piece of this is recovery. We get a sponsor. What's a sponsor? That's someone who takes us through the steps. So we get a sponsor and we work the steps out of this book. Okay? You can do that. The second part of this is unity. We go to meetings. And I mean, if you're brand new at this deal and you don't have a whole lot going on at home, go to a lot of them. Maybe if you do have a lot, give them a break. Get out of the house and go to a lot of them. Get a home group. Commit to that home group. Get involved. Get to know people. Help out. That's such an important part of this deal. We'd love to have you here. And the third part of this is service. Recovery, unity, and service. Service. Carry this message. Work with others. For some of us, get involved in the service structure. You know, take a position. That's good stuff. But it's not a substitute for carrying this message and working with others. After you've had this experience, go take someone else through it. If you get a chance to go into a jail or an institution or someplace like that, go. Carry this message. Even if all you've ever heard is what we've discussed right here in this meeting, you have a message to carry. When you're at a meeting, find somebody that looks like they're in worse shape than you are and make them feel welcome. Because what we find out in this fellowship and in this program is that in doing that, I begin to feel welcome. I become a part of if I help you become a part of. Does that make sense? There's a saying in AA that you can't keep what you have unless you give it away. But the one I like much better is if you don't give it away, you can't have it in the first place. Okay, okay guys. A sponsor, membership in AA, none of that costs a dime. doesn't cost anything. We're not... We're, are we helping, trying to help you out of the kindness of our own hearts? Yeah, to a certain extent. But we're also practicing the 12th step in our own programs. So if I'm going to take you through the steps, you're helping me as much as I'm helping you. We do this together, shoulder to shoulder. Nobody's the boss over anybody. And we're going to give you some pretty strong suggestions, and they're things that you're not necessarily going to want to do, but they're things that we've done and they've worked for us. There are no obligations to this deal. Here's what we ask you to do. Come do this work. Have this experience. And then here's what we ask of you. Go help somebody else do it. That's all. Go help somebody else. So on page 84, this is good stuff. On page 84, it says, we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. Anybody ever fought alcohol? 
You know what I'm talking about? Fighting it. I'm either drinking or here's what's even worse. I'm not drinking. And so many of us think that coming into AA means sober feels terrible and this is what it's going to feel like for the rest of my life. It's not. It's not if I follow the instructions here and do what this thing's asking me to do. It says, we've ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol. By this time, sanity has returned. Remember the insanity we talked about before? Picking up the first drink? It says here, we will seldom be interested in liquor. It's not like I'm constantly having to go, no, I want the drink so bad, but, but I just can't. It's not like that. I look at it today and go, no, that stuff's bad news for me. And then my mind moves on to something else. It's not torture like it used to be. It says, if tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we find this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude toward liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. I put effort into working a program, but guess what? I don't put any effort into not drinking. It just comes. That's the miracle of it. We're not fighting it. We're not avoiding temptation. We haven't even sworn off. Three things that don't work for the alcoholic, right? We feel as though we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. The problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor are we afraid. That's our experience. That's how we react so long as we keep in fit spiritual condition. How do I stay in fit spiritual condition? I just continue working this program out of this book. Continue that program of action I just talked about. So guys, if you'll do this, you can have what we have, which is freedom from alcoholism. So if you don't have one, let's get you a sponsor tonight and get this thing going. Thank you.